Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hello listeners, it's day eight of the Cannes Film Festival. This is Truth In Movies again, coming to you live from the Quasette. We are doing a bunch of mini podcasts from Cannes and reporting back on all the movies we're seeing. So I'm here with my colleague Adam Woodward. Hello. And it's been a big day at the festival. A lot of chatter, yeah. a lot of excitement, a lot of trepidation even. Can you say why? Well, yeah, Lars von Trier is back in town. Wow. <laughs> uh, seven years after he was declared persona non grata following, uh, for those of you who don't know, comments he made during a press conference uh, for his film Melancholia. And you were, you were here for that one? I was here at the festival, uh, saw Melancholia, enjoyed Melancholia. Uh, you know, his, his comments are kind of what they are and you can read more up about them if you, if you wish. But it's, it's sort of an unpre- quite an uh, yeah, unprecedented move for the festival to eff- effectively ban him from entering any more films. Um, and they've obviously enough time has passed and they've since retracted that. And this new film, The House That Jack Built, is very much promising, you know, even, even more excruciating endurance cinema from uh, Denmark's foremost provocateur. But the, the thing about it is as well is that he actually had been away for a while mm. um, and he had made one other film where he was, almost, he was on the can naughty step for a while because mm. he made Nymphomaniac, which was this kind of big two-part sex odyssey and that went to the berlin film festival and yeah this i don't know it's there's lots of speculation as to how he managed to get it back into the festival whether he came with his begging bowl or whether the the festival organizers were actually you know going back to him and saying we're sorry we made a mistake yeah i mean please love us again one thing that we should say is that the film screening in and out of competition slot and i think it's the first time i've seen a film here that's not had the can ident play before the film. It just opens on a very hard cut of, of the first. Yeah, it goes, the room went dark, yeah. and it just went straight into the film. Just to give some context into that, at Cannes, if, if your film is selected as part of the official competition, it runs with this little kind of ident at the beginning, which is some like glass steps which go, uh, it kind of tracks up from the bottom of the sea and into the stars. And, yeah. the, and then at the top, you see the little can logo with the, 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 with the, gold the, palm the golden logo, palm yeah. over it. And it's, a lo- it's got that, this kind of twinkly Sansons um, uh, classical music over the top as well. It's quite, 
Yeah, it sends your heart a flutter mm. every every time you're uh, you see it because you're kind of reminded you're 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 here and you're kind of in the in the mix. But this this intro and, and not having that ident really got me excited actually. The fact that the, like you say, the room just went dark and then suddenly this voice appears and it's it's Matt Dillon and you're like, wow, we're in it now. And uh, and I was kind of braced for something really special. When we saw the film at eight thirty a.m. this morning. We arrived there at about twenty past seven, I think, and we were yeah. we were in our seats for, a, for well over an hour before it started, and um, the room had filled up with like thirty minutes on the clock, so it was a very very busy screening. The world premiere had al- already occurred last night yeah. at ten o'clock, so when we woke up this morning at six a.m., the, the first kind of wave of reactions had come through, and I think it's just worth reading some of the reactions that kind of emanated over Twitter. Mm. And I mean, some of them are, you know, hyperbolic to say the least. The suggestion being was that that the director Lars von Trier had made this kind of film that is just pure shock value. Yeah, there's people calling it things like unbearable and talking about the number of walkouts and things like that. A guy called Ramin Satude, who tweeted uh, last night with an image I've never seen anything like this at the film festival. More than a hundred people have walked out of Lars von Trier's The House That Jack Built, which depicts the mutilation of women and children. It's disgusting, one woman said on her way out. To add some context to that, yes, people do walk out of screenings in, mm. in Cannes, and you know sometimes they might do it in protest. Yeah. At the end, sometimes people clap, sometimes people boo. But the reality is that a hundred people plus walk out of probably every single screening in Cannes. Well, given people that have other things to do. People have meetings they've got to get to. They've got. They want to dip in and just get a taste of the film rather than like taking the whole thing. It's not all journalists in the room, so you know this sort of walkout thing. I mean, it's it, the, the screening was happening at like you know, went on to well past midnight. So and also given that the Lumiere, which is the main screen in the in the Palais where the festival takes place, holds what two thousand people, yeah, or something like that. It's a big room. Hundred people walking out is not. Really, uh, it's not a big not, deal. No, it's not much. We were there. We were all braced. The lights went down. And yeah, I think all this build-up, all this context. Yeah. I certainly was fearing the worst. I was ready to write this one off before I'd even seen it. Mm. And I think that the rule, the one rule you have to learn in can is never write anything off before you've seen it. Yeah. You know, never sort of take the uh, the knee-jerk reaction, you know, entirely seriously, or, or take it, but take it with a pinch of salt. Mm. Because you know, uh, some people react differently to movies. Some people might be tired. People might be a bit tipsy. I mm. don't know. The rosé does flow here. But do you want to maybe tee up the film? Well, the film is basically structured around five kind of flashbacks told from the point of view of Matt Dillon's serial killer. Referred to as incidents. Referred to as incidents. So you have these very Lars von Trier title cards that mark each incident with a kind of chalk paint reverse effect where it's kind of running back up the screen um, and and yeah it's, it's sort of the story of this guy going around murdering various people um, and there's a there's a sort of voiceover narration going on in, in, the, in, in the meanwhile which is between him and uh, a character who we let find out is played by Bruno Gantz uh, it's effectively the journey that they're taking into hell they're kind of killing time on this journey by recounting the uh, the incidents of, we don't really know why he's kind of, he says he's selected these incidents at random because it turns out he's, he's killed 61 people or something. So yeah, it's, it's interesting 
why these have been chosen. I don't know that the director really sheds much more light on it than that, but... I mean, yeah, it's, it is like this, this series of, you know, slightly random episodes, yeah. although the film is actually, I found, more like a, a structure like an essay, mm. almost, where each episode has a kind of its own miniature kind of point, or, you know, it's, it's taking, on a, taking on a theme or an idea. Mm. So yeah, that's the, that's the kind of plot in, in a nutshell, but of course this being Lars von Trier, there's a lot going on under the surface and he's dealing with a lot of themes that he's dealt with throughout his career and throughout his work. His sort of depression I think crops up again and it, for me it was very much about an artist struggling to come to terms with or reconcile you know, the, the things that they make basically and there's, there's an amazing sequence talking about the construction of like gothic cathedrals and it goes into some like quite a lot of detail about that and it's at that point that we learn that Matt Dillon's character in his, in his day job is, a, is an engineer slash architect and there is some yeah fascinating and that's where the film gets its title from yeah because there, there is this kind of returning motif in the film where um, Jack is kind of building this house for himself yeah but and he, it's, he sort of builds a bit of it and then decides that it's not right and he yeah. needs to start again and it's also a jack is the first murder weapon used and mm -hmm. we don't know whether this is the first murder he's committed but it's sort of implied that it might well be so yeah it, there's this kind of in, in tandem these two ideas of he's constructing this house that he keeps tearing down and also he's building on this killing spree and murdering more and more because um as, as he quite kind of poetically uh, puts it Lars, it's like walking between lampposts and your shadow being kind of cast one way and then catching you up and then you've got to reach the next lamppost. And um, yeah, I thought that was quite a kind of beautiful metaphor mm -hmm. for the, I mean, in this case, it's someone who's a serial killer, but effectively you can put in anything there. It's true. I think what's interesting about this film is that the, the serial killer aspect of it is not interchangeable because I think it does have some interesting things to say about the serial killer mindset mm. almost I think it was very similar to the David Fincher series Mindhunter that's on Netflix which sort of delves into like real the real life cases of the first quote unquote serial killers but also this is it's trying to sort of extrapolate ideas and um, and feelings and emotions and and trying to sort of Lars von Trier is trying to almost connect himself to the impulses of the of the serial killer mm. and what you know how maybe suggesting that he's driven in the same way that he you know he'll create something and be happy but as time passes and he'll get sadder and sadder and then he'll need to create something again and like what the creation is mm. in this movie just happens to be murder mm. so um and there's also an element of him not directly apologising for what happened at Cannes last time out in the press conference, but there is almost like a sort of mea culpa element to it, I found, where he's, yeah, he's sort of like really like laying himself, laying his soul bare and saying like, this is, this is who I am basically. And he's not making any apologies, as I say, but it's very, very kind of candid in that way. The sort of voiceover and the, and the kind of dialogue that's happening in the background and it's very much a dialogue. It's not. It's not a kind of Jack versus this kind of mysterious sort of devilish character mm. called Verge, played by Bruno Gantz. It's not really a dialogue between them. It's more of a kind of interrogation. Yeah. And and the the Verge character never really questions what he, you know all these kind of quite you know outlandish ideas that he gives about why he's murdering these people and comparing things like creating wine or, and, or, mm. or like the design of the Stuka mm. to these, these heinous acts that he's committing. Mm. 
he kind of yeah that's interesting I, I don't know if I agree with that and then you, it kind of carries on he doesn't really ever offer a, a counterpoint which is kind of interesting but yeah there's definitely like a confessional element yeah, to the film yeah. um, and it's shocking in places I think it's maybe not as violent or as uh, it doesn't kind of ramp up the tension in the horror stakes as much as I thought it would do but it's certainly got Lars's you know nasty streak to it there it certainly is. I mean, in terms of actual, like, you know, gore... Yeah. And, and like, stuff you see, it's it's fairly... Not, I mean, I, I hasten to use the word tame, mm. but, <laughs> you know, it's it, it's strong stuff, but it's the way it's done more than the actual scenes themselves. I mean, you know, there's a lot... They're, they're, they're quite protracted scenes, mm. they're quite dialogue-heavy, and you can kind of see the end point long before it comes, and he kind of strings you along and strings you along, but... He, he doesn't do it in a way that I, I, I found that obnoxious. No, or gratuitous I, even. Yeah, really. it's, it's quite, it feels quite real and, it, and, and, he, and the script is, I think, really entertaining. So you're kind of, you're mm. in the moment the whole time. Uh, one of the other things that I, I found really interesting about this film and surprising as well is, is how, like, I thought it was visually really interesting. The actual flashback sequences themselves are shot in this fairly standard kind of shot on the shoulder style, mm. handheld visual mode. But then he uses his like clips from films. He uses yeah, it's like, like a montage reel. of his own work. There's a montage well. of his own work in the film, yeah. which is uh, a little indulgent, yeah. you might say. It's, I mean, it's it so is. In, in fact, it's so indulgent you forgive it straight yeah, away because yeah. it's kind of it's comically. It, it, that's what the film is. It's comically indulgent. Well, it's, which it's director would include clips of their own past movies yeah. in their new movie? But as I say, it is a film about narcissism. And there is none more narcissistic than Lars, and as he as he proves in this, you know. Exactly, and it's it's got this kind of yeah this, this final sequence where they descend into hell. You get Lars really gets to sort of flex his muscles a mm. bit visually, and it ends on this kind of really quite interesting sort of philosophical mind teaser thing mm. about self destructiveness yeah. and how living this life ultimately you destroy yourself yeah doing and it. there's a recurring thing about this image of this idea of being kind of trapped between two poles as well and you know constantly striving to move forward I guess and to reach a destination yeah. and not quite maybe doing it well we've talked about Lars and our review uh, will be online probably by the time you hear this yeah at com. I think we should give a little shout out to maybe one other film we've seen each sure I mean my favourite from the past 24 hours probably Black Klansman which is the new Spike Lee film very funny film it's, it's his usual interrogation of racism in America told from the point of view of a black cop who's played by David John Washington who's the son of Denzel and a, and a real chip off the old block he's like a, a superb I think in this uh, and he, he, yeah, he teams up with uh, Adam Driver they're, they're detectives who go undercover to infiltrate the Ku Klux Klan in the, in the 1970s in Colorado Springs. And it's just a very entertaining buddy movie with, a, with a, obviously, with being a Spike Lee film, it's got this very pointed kind of satirical and, and social edge to it. I just love Lee's work when he's, when he's like firing on this particular cylinder and it's just, he can do something so entertaining and so thought-provoking and, yeah, leaves you with this really, you know, poignant message, I think, about basically... You know the the, the we're problem. In the times yeah, the, the problem plan. that we're that we're we're facing now, and and more so perhaps in America, but really actually everywhere, um, is not something we can we can look away from or hide from. And some of the characters 
you know, the, the dialogue refers to or, or sort of alludes to the rise of, of populist nationalist figures like Trump. And it's almost so on the nose that it's laughable, but obviously the, the, the kind of humour is under, underpinned by the fact that, yeah, this, the knowledge so that the, these, these guys have actually come about. And it, it sort of posits that America's always been in, in the business of like selling hate right from the start, basically. That's, it's, it's something that's been exploited and people's fears and prejudices have been preyed on. And it's quite subtle the way Lee sort of infuses the film with that idea and that, that kind of political sentiment. But as a sort of crime comedy, it's just very, very entertaining. And both Washington and Driver are, are very, very good in it. I mean, I would agree that I thought it was probably the most sort of outwardly entertaining film in the festival, just Everyone was laughing. It mm. was really good. And just to add, Topher Grace <laughs> stars as the uh, Ku Klux Klan Grand Wizard, David Duke. And it, was, it seems like it might be the role he was born to play, yeah. which is, I don't know if that's a good or bad thing, really. <laughs> but I've just come from a film called Long Day's Journey Into Night by B. Gan. I don't know if it's B. Gan or B. Jan. He's a Chinese director. It's his second feature, played in the Uncertain Regard strand. It was a very kind of arty, hardcore, quite impenetrable, intractable art film uh, set in kind of uh, the rural area of China called Kaili. And um, there was an intriguing uh, intertitle at the beginning of the film. We, we went in and we were given 3D glasses. Right. And uh, an intertitle came up saying, uh, this is not a 3D film, but if you uh, would like to, when our hero puts his 3D glasses on, you can too. And so that got a little round of applause. So you see, you see this kind of opening hour of the film, which is this very obscure kind of noir tale. It's like a sort of weird murder mystery, but very sort of slow, and mm. the, the details are all very hazy. And all of a sudden, the, char- the main character goes into a cinema, puts on a pair of 3D glasses, and then goes to sleep. So everyone in the cinema is clattering around, putting their 3D glasses on. And then you have this kind of 80, 90-minute single-take tracking shot around this area where he's in a he's in this kind of weird dream mm. or it's like a kind of hellish dream he sort of travels around and meets all these people and he plays ping pong and he plays snooker and he plays with um sparklers and he meets he has conversations with lots of random people and it's kind of an incredible formally it's just completely dazzling and it's in 3d and it's in 3d i mean it's it's i think it's like post synced 3d yeah. so it's not full on but frankly had it not been in 3D, I'm not sure it would have made much difference, to be honest, but it certainly novel idea. But, yeah, it was a fascinating film. I wonder whether it'll ever travel beyond the Côte d'Azur. I don't know. One to maybe, look out for. One to look out for, maybe in the, uh, in the, in the London Film Festival or uh, any local film festival, I guess. But, um, yeah, that's been us for today. And, uh, yeah, we're going to be back with you on Thursday. Yeah, and we're going to, in between then and now, we're going to be seeing Under the Silver Lake. And Solo. And Solo. A Star Wars story. Yeah, which I'm seeing will be joining the queue for shortly. So if you want to get in touch with us, it's at LWLies on Twitter and truthandmovies at tcolondon.com over email. Thanks all. This has been a 7 Digital production. up. 
What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.